0: Welcome to the Trampoline Hall Podcast. I am your host, Misha Globerman is my name. Trampoline Hall is a lecture series uh, that takes place uh, in a bar in Toronto. Um, uh, Sometimes it happens in other cities too, but basically it's in Toronto. Uh, People give lectures on all kinds of subjects, sometimes very serious, sometimes uh, not at all serious. The one rule, though, is that uh, they cannot be professionally expert on the topics on which they speak. It can't be their job to know that thing. Then after each lecture, we take questions from the audience. One question that's come up a few times is, we, we've been doing the show in Toronto for a very long time, and we've been recording them for a very long time, but for a very long time we didn't have a podcast, and people ask, um, like, well, why why now? Why did we wait until now to do the podcast? And I guess the answer is that for a long time, um, so much of what Tram- makes Trampling Hall special, I think, is, is stuff about the liveness of the show. And so there was a worry that... Um, that that it wouldn't work as a podcast, I guess, and and but I feel like what podcasts are has changed over the past few years. So I think like six or seven years ago, people would think about oh maybe putting this on the radio or, or making a podcast out of it, and it kind of felt to me like um and I still haven't figured out exactly how to say this, but it sort of felt to me like like even even seven or eight years ago, I feel like the question was like oh do you want to take the steps of taking this thing and putting it on the internet? But now it feels like the it feels like the point where the internet broadcast is so ubiquitous. That it feels like the question has almost reversed itself, that that it's almost, that now it's the question is really, that if you're not on the internet, the question is like, why are you keeping this thing off the internet? And I think it reached the point where it seemed crazy to keep Trampling Hall off the internet. We didn't want to do that. That just seemed sort of precious and protecting it. So we thought, well, let's, let's let this thing, let's set it free onto, you know, into the world and let it reach a broader audience the way that things do now because it's, you know, because it's the 21st century. And that brings us to this episode's lecture. This podcast may contain mature language. The topic is Metacognitive Mismatch and Relationship Strife, and the lecturer is David Jameson.
1: Wow, bright up here. Hope I can read this. Um, uh, tonight's, t- what is the t- title of my talk?
0: It changed. Your title, your title it did? changed. It, did. it, did, it yeah, doesn't it matter. Doesn't it doesn't matter what it is. No, I want to know. What do you have? Oh, yeah. well, I, I'm
1: asking you. Okay, I well, I
0: in the email, on the website and in the email, it says that it's metacognitive mismatch and relationship strife. But in the program, I believe it says meta-perceptual mismatch and relationship strife. Either way, which The second it's one fine. I find confusing.
1: Either way. It okay. could be meta-understanding. It could be a whole bunch of uh, different stuff. Uh, I was uh, thinking, what would I do for this talk? One thing you should know about me is that I actually uh, studied psychology in graduate school. One thing that I have been doing for a long time is uh, working on my marriage. Uh, Back in graduate school, a couple of things sort of came together to uh, lead me to begin to think about these things. I actually almost made a professional career out of studying this type of stuff, but I I didn't. Mm -hmm. There were actually three things that came together. The first was that I got to see a guy, a young researcher named John Gottman, who came through our graduate school. And you may have read about him a little bit. He's uh, uh, published a a lot of work on why it is that people fight in relationships, why relationships founder and and, uh, fall on the rocks and that sort of thing. Uh, And at the time, it was pretty interesting. He was getting people into a room. He said, "Uh, "You guys have any issues? You know, what was the last fight you had? Oh, we had a fight about money the other day. Oh, good. Start there. You know, pick that up." And then he would have people engage. And within seconds, they'd forget that they were in a a laboratory. They're being videotaped. They had a little was called a talk table, and he had dials and buttons. And every time the other person said something, he had to you know, turn this button and say, ooh, they were, they were digging the knife in there. Okay, they were intending to hurt me with that one. And it was pretty interesting stuff. It turns out 20 years later, Gottman uh, has a model where if he watches you fight at whatever point in your relationship uh, for five to ten minutes and runs it through his analysis algorithm, he has an over 90% hit rate at predicting whether or not you'll get divorced. This is, this is predictive like 30 years later, right? So he gets you, you know, when you've been going out for, for, you know, with somebody for a year, uh, you fight for 10 minutes, and he basically gives you this or this after he runs it through his algorithm, and you kind of go, oh, geez, you know? So that was one thing. I, I got to see some of his early work. The second thing was uh, that I got married, uh, and there was a third thing, and that was that I saw a particularly good episode of the Newlywed Game. I don't know if any of you, am I really dating myself here? <laughs> Okay, this is a game where, you know, they separate the couples. One couple goes into a sound booth. They ask a question of the, of the one that's sitting on the stage. In this particular case, they asked the question, and it was the wife. And, and they said, okay, what is the one thing that your husband does around the house that he would wa- not want other people to know about? So you could see her. she oh, Writes down on the card. Guy comes out. Bob Eubanks was the uh, uh, effervescent host of this show. Uh, A little bit of evil in that man, I think. He he just liked to see people squirm. So he asked the question, so what is it, you know, that Mary, that you wrote about John, what's the one thing that he would uh, not want people to know he does around the house? And Mary goes, oh, well, he wears my underwear. Like this. Now... Now, John immediately clams up, looks shocked. He's, his reputation is shot, right? At work, the guys know this now, everything. And you begin to analyze this and you think, well, what's he thinking at, the point, at this point? Is he thinking, uh, you know, is she one sort of meta-perception away from, you know, oblivion here? Like, why didn't she know enough to know me enough to know that my reputation was something that she would have to protect? And so she should have written down, you know, clips his toenails in bed. Instead, she writes down something very intimate and personal about him, right? And, of course, Bob Eubanks makes light of it. You know, everybody gets a big chuckle, and you know that that couple is getting divorced. They're gone. Yeah, you know, that, that's not, That That is an irrecoverable error right there on national television. So a friend of mine and I began to talk about this, and we began to realize that, you know, most of the fights we have in our relationships are things like, wait a minute, you think that I'm like this? Well, that's not me. You know, that, that's not my identity. That's not a cherished part of myself. Or in his case, that was the kind of thing that I did. I was a little more immature than him. I was still concerned about my identity and other people perceiving it right and getting it right. His thing was, and he was married at the time, he said, wait a minute, what really upsets me is when I say to my wife, wait a minute, I can't believe that you would think that I would think that about you. So there was a reflexive part of it. So we began to think about this, and we discovered that there was a book written about this by a guy named R.D. Lang. I don't know if you know him. He used to be a famous psychologist, anti-psychiatrist guy, uh, you know, argued against schizophrenia and models of that and all that kind of stuff. But he also wrote this great little book uh, about perception and metaperception in relationships and what causes things to go off the rails, so it turns out there's a whole bunch of, of different ways that this can happen, and that's kind of what I wanted to talk about, whether it's perception, cognition, understanding, and that sort of thing. It's, it's, uh, you know Psychologists have a tendency to look at the processes. They, they say, okay, well, let's examine exactly what goes wrong when people fight, and then it goes, you know, it goes south. So you know, you'll have things like, well, people will stonewall, and they'll complain, and they'll criticize, and, and all that sort of thing. And you can see this spiral. But I've always sort of been more interested, and that's what psychologists do. They study processes. But I've always sort of been more interested in the content. Like, what are you talking about? I mean, what are the things that really caused this spiral to happen? What are the issues and topics? Uh, some of them are obvious, you know, mother-in-laws, uh, you know, finances, how you raise the kids, and stuff like that. But I began to think that, you know, well, maybe there's, there's uh, actually a, a way to study this. Now... Uh, Earlier, Misha said that uh, we'd be conveying knowledge tonight. I kind of hold to this uh, metaphor of knowledge as being like a balloon. And as you fill up the balloon, knowledge expands. But as it expands and pushes back ignorance, you never should forget that the inside surface area of that balloon, which is the knowledge, is less than the outside surface area of that balloon, which is the ignorance. So I, I may convey some knowledge to you tonight, but I'm going to convey a little more ignorance too, okay? But I, what I want you to do is just to, to, to begin to think about this. Now, I know you all know what I'm talking about. This is when you walk by the street corner and you hear somebody saying, What do you mean? How could you think that I would think that about what your mother said about me? You know, and oh, okay, the mother's mentioned this is bad news. That's the content, right? The process is that you're talking about this, uh, this, this process of saying what you think the other person thinks. The assumptions you make, and so forth. So, as you begin to unpack this and really kind of look at it, uh, and I have done a little bit of reading on this in a non professional way, just to, uh, in the interests of marital harmony, um, I found that there's a number of things that people, you know, really talk about and a number of these perspectives. So, first of all, think about the fact that you have perceptions of the world, okay? Whether it's this theater, whether it's uh, Stephen Harper. Whether it is your mother-in-law, whether it is the planet, the planet Venus, a very underrated planet, I think. You should all appreciate Venus a lot more. We don't, you don't read about Venus anymore. It's just not mentioned. I don't know. It's a generational thing. maybe. I'm not sure. Anyway, uh, you know, those are, those are things in the world, right, that you could talk about. Now, I could have a perception of it. You could have a perception of it. I could perceive your perception of it, so that's the meta-perception, right? I could also perceive what you think my perception is. So that's the meta-meta-perception. And it goes on sort of, you know, uh, what's the term? Absurdo reductum, ad reductum, whatever. You can go back and forth and back and forth. This is a very complicated problem. I mean, we should all know ourselves this well. Most of us have blind spots. Most of our our self-knowledge is not complete anyway. But you now have another commentary on it from your significant other. And if you can be wrong about yourself, they can certainly be wrong about you. And this can get very messy very quickly. And I think you'll, you'll recognize that this is often the stuff of, of where uh, conflict happens. Um, so in addition to the world, uh, and one of the key members of the world is your significant other. And it, but this could be friends, and I'm just you know restraining this to uh, spousal talk and uh, relationships and that sort of thing. But it could be even more complicated than that. Like, uh, I can't believe that you believe that my brother thinks that you're a slut. You know, <laughs> you know. I mean, it's not very hard. There very few words are needed to get you into real trouble here, right? Um, and and very few layers of this perspective. Can, but I love perceptions. I love meta-perceptions, metacognition. You know, I get I get the giggles just vacuuming my own vacuum. You know, your vacuum gets dirty, and you gotta you gotta vacuum. it sometimes it's it's meta-vacuuming, right? It's that's that's a fun thing to do. So. And, and, it's, and it works And it works uh, even cross-species. Like, for instance, my dog uh, is a herding dog. So every time I go outside and he's sitting in the backyard, he immediately gets up and runs around the pool. And it's like, well, I'm constantly trying to get through to him. You don't have to work just because I, I show up, you know. And it's like, why do you think that I expect you to work? Right? So that I, I'm making an, an inference about what his cognition is. So I'm making a, a kind of a metacognition. You know, I don't stop and think, well, maybe it's just a stimulus response thing, and he's genetically a herder, and, you know, he sees me, and it's a, I'm a trigger, and... No, I, 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 you know, I anthropomorphize, and I think, well, no, he's, his problem is he's not getting my perception. What is wrong with this dog, you know? And, and I try to talk to him, and he just doesn't get it, you know? But I think we have more hope with humans up to a point. I mean, uh, this is... This is a really vexing, complicated problem. You know, you, know, you should put uh, IBM Watson on this, right? Let it work for a few days and say, well, how many layers before I get in trouble? And when you give me the answer, put it in the form of a question. And maybe IBM Watson could do it. I'm not sure. Uh, so, so there's the self that you perceive, your own self. There's the other. And there's stuff in the world. And then you have all of these meta-perceptions and the meta-meta-perceptions. Okay? So... That's kind of you know, what I want to talk about a little bit and, and the meta rules about that. So the kinds of things I'm talking about, I think like what I think he thinks about me and you can compare that to what I think about me and what he actually thinks about me. All these are, these are different things. They have to be sorted out, right? You have to communicate this. And, and you know as a guy, past a certain point, this is just really hard. You know? <laughs> you know, and I'm not that interested in it. Past a certain uh, sort of academic Intellectual point uh, So how far do we go how, how deep do we have to go with this uh, And my wife and I have different standards For this and uh, different Stamina for this and This in itself can cause trouble Like what, what do you mean you don't think I have The stamina to talk about this all night You know so you know this is the kind of thing I'm talking about Uh The other big problem with this is that nobody really knows what the T, you know, capital T truth is about any of these things, right? For me, it's often uh, protecting a a cherished self-identity, right? Um, And so I might might defend that, and I might be willing to go to the mat, you know, go to the mattresses even for that. Uh, But, you know, in other other cases, I'm not going to do that. So when do I pick my spots? Um, So you have all these different perspectives, and I... Actually, there's some diagrams that I didn't bring because I didn't think we'd have, uh, you know, but I was going to show you sort of how, how you can have one person perceiving themselves, the other, uh, the other's perception of how they perceive you, and on and on and on. Now, the key thing to this, I think, and where people really get uh, in trouble is that uh, where this really uh, is most interesting is when you're getting people in a situation where they have to attribute what the intentions that the other person. And this is going back to the the Gottman stuff where he had little dials and switches and stuff like that. Uh, Because essentially what you're asking people to do is to take the other person's behavior, infer an intention. Now, you may communicate that to the person or you may not. In my case, I try, you know, I try to communicate. So I say, you know, I say things like, why can't you just accept that when I wash your car, I'm trying to tell you that I love you. And instead you say that I'm avoiding intimacy. I mean, you know, why can't, why, can't you, why can't you just accept that this was an act of faith, right? So a lot of this has to do with how we think about the most important thing that you think about when it comes to relationship. And that is the answer to the question, does this person care about me? Which is just above, do I care about this other person, right? Because we're all self-interested. So uh, does this person care about me? And what does caring mean? It means, and here's where I, I sound like a, a self-help uh, psychology guru, but um, caring means that I have uh, evidence from the past, consistent evidence, that you have behaved toward me in a way that was designed to protect me uh, and to further my interests. So to, it's sort of for ego Uh, defense and ego enhancement. And in addition to that, caring is also plus. Given that history, I now make a leap of faith that you will continue to care about me in the future. And what I've described there is really the psychology of trust, right? So trust is caring with consistency, dependability, and faith. That's a lot. That's a lot of stuff all packed into that, you know, that one statement of what caring is. Uh, but essentially, where, where you really go on the rocks is where one person thinks that the other has not taken their interests well enough into, into mind when they acted in a certain way. And that somehow undermines the feeling of caring and thus of trust. Okay, so uh, when you look at psychologists who usually look at process and me wanting to look at content, I actually want to know, well, what are those things? And this seems to be what it's about, is a general class of things, right, is caring and trust. And those are those are when metaperceptual mismatch or metacognitive mismatch, whatever you want to call it, really gets you into trouble and really threatens the relationship and can lead to all these other processes of, uh, you know, you hear people talk. You know, nowadays there, there are good enough uh, programs out there that any couple who's uh, newly married can, you know, get a, a nine CD package for, a, a, you know, the low, low price of two dollars payments uh, over consecutive months and order a second copy for, you know, your friends for free. And, and essentially, it, it outlines all these things that we do, uh, the kitchen sinking and all that. Now, it's really hard, though, when you're sitting there in the moment and you're trying to be empathetic, when you're trying to listen to the other person's perspective and they're talking about you or they're talking about your intentions, Right. And we live in an age where uh, what we're hearing now is that feelings are paramount. You know, we know this from the psychological literature. Uh, We know that uh, often much of our cognition is just a rationalization of feelings and decisions that we made based on on the gut. But we've kind of elevated the gut to be important and valid. And there are times when I'm sitting with my wife and she said, well, okay, you know, you make some good points, but the bottom line is, is that I'm hurt. And it's very hard for me not to say, and the reason you're hurt is because three and a half minutes ago you parted company with reality. You know? <laughs> so <laughs> or vice versa, right? So this is where this is where you know you have to practice the best skills of listening, of active listening, all the things that you can actually find anywhere. You can train them. You can you can do them. And everyone should do those things. Uh, you know, you should be able to sit and look your partner in the eye and hold hands and, and in a non-defensive way actually say things to one another. Because why? Why? What, what would give you the permission to do that with one another? If you had the feeling of trust, if you had the feeling that we're in this for the long term together, that uh, in future we will be doing this again. And I think You know, in all the disputes that you have, and I'm looking back now at a a 30-year marriage. So in the end, I guess what I I wanted to conclude with is saying that uh, you have to realize that you can be blind to the self. And so when another person who you've lived with for 30 years is also an expert on you, in fact, they may be a better expert on you than you on yourself, you ought to allow that opinion to come in. Sociologists talk about each person who's a significant other in our lives, being a reflection, they somehow hold a mirror up to ourselves and show us ourselves from a different angle. So our identity is mostly the collection of reflected appraisals we get from important other people in our lives. Um, So I guess that's about what I wanted to say. (laughs) David Jameson, ladies and gentlemen.
0: You're listening to the Trampoline Hall Podcast. I'm Misha Goldman. Up next with today. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over
1: 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. I, I just want to ask, has this ever happened to you where your husband says, what do you mean you don't think I'm pulling my weight on the maximization front? <laughs> <laughs> or what do you think, you know? That's the kind of thing I'm talking about.
0: Is that a question? Do you want that question answered? No. <laughs> All right. Okay. Good. Good. Because that's not how it works.
1: But maybe when they, but maybe when they ask a question, they, sh- they should also share with us a uh, If they could share a measurement Again, I think they could be welcome to. But let's start with the questions. Let's do that over here.
0: Let's see if we can can evolve it it up from that. From the very back of the room, yes. Yes, you, man. Uh, What's reality? What's reality comes the question. Uh, That could be another topic. Do you
1: think that's for another night? What's reality? I don't know.
0: It depends if you have a short answer.
1: I, I have a, a very relativistic answer, unfortunately, you know, which, is, with, with the, which is two people in interaction, in mutual uh, you know, inner perception, interperception, uh, trying to struggle through what reality is. Uh, and if you do research on this, and I, I must admit, this is, this is part of my almost did this professionally, I once had some extra grant money, and I asked couples to come into the lab, and I asked them what their values were, And then I have research assistants go off and find discrepancies in their values. You know, like, uh, oh, I'm very honest. What? You cheat on your taxes, you know? You don't even give change back to the cashier when she gives you too much. How can you say you're honest? And it becomes, you know, it often boils down into premises and defining your terms and all that kind of stuff. But if you point out to people, to couples, the discrepancies that exist between them, uh, you're playing with fire. And I like to think at the time that I was just catalyzing the natural progression of a relationship. Yeah, and helping. If it ended, you know, it, you know, it's, far be it from me to think that I had some sort of role. Yeah, that. you're just
0: you're just helping them get to that divorce a little quicker, a little quicker. To yeah, get, yeah, why waste they time? Find the partner yeah, they'll be yeah,
1: you could go years without this advice. Yeah. Did,
0: they, did you have a? Se- why did you ask the question about reality? Did you feel that that was? Missing, or did you have a sense that David would know the answer to that? Because <laughs> you kind of did. Like, I was surprised. Like, normally if you ask the lecture what is reality, they don't have an answer. But you kind of had one. No, because because uh, the point was made of, like, three minutes ago, you departed
1: reality, and it made me think. Oh. Wait, perception is so involved in the conversation. Yes. Yeah. Well, that was where, a... Perc- where,
2: like, where does the concept of reality
0: even come in? Right. So when your wife departs reality in that conversation, what's the reality that...
1: The reality is I'm sleeping on the sofa. <laughs> that's right, the reality. Right, right, So, in fact, you're losing track. So, in fact,
0: yeah. like, you sitting here in, in a set of calm emotions on the stage in a distance from that situation wouldn't describe that as her departing from reality. No. But it's, that's what it feels like to you at the time.
1: Right. At the time, it feels like uh, what you're asserting is just not true in my perception.
0: right. And so what in fact happens it sounds like I mean not to get not to get too, but no what the hell you actually have a theory of reality that's one that you're pretty happy with reality is a joint a joint
2: a joint, joint, shared a joint negotiated yeah. what
0: happens in that moment when you when you think that of, of your wife is that you've actually lost track of your own idea of what reality is right that you've like abandoned your own theory of reality and replaced it with a cruder one right which is going to get you guys into a bigger fight and
1: my answer is extremely defensive and we know that people get defensive only as a you know it sound, it sounds it's an oxymoron to say you're being Defensive. Defensive is an actual attack strategy. Right, Very right. right,
0: You're actually defending yourself against. Yes. Against what?
1: <laughs> uh, against what you perceive to be invalid assertions about yourself. Usually.
0: Yeah. Right. So, uh, yes. Yes. Yes, sir. Yes. Um, I have a question about the psychologist who could tell if people who get a divorce at, get a divorce after. About John Gottman. About John Gottman's yes. predictions. Yeah. yeah. What were. Um, What are the predictors of divorce in the Gottman tests? What do we see? Uh, there,
1: there's about five or six of them. Um, for instance, when you start the, uh, the conversation, and, he, and he's making you fight, right? If it starts on a very negative tone, that is, one person's cynical, or, oh, God, do we have to talk about this again? Or if there's just the sense of unopenness. One of the key things uh, he found in his early research was the ability to stay open to influence from the other person through the whole longevity of your relationship was a very important predictor. Once you become closed off and your perceptions are and beliefs are frozen and not open to that reflected appraisal through their mirror on your reality, then it's probably game over. But besides that, there's, uh, there's kind of a laundry list, and you know, his algorithm is uh, proprietary and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, there's... Really? <laughs> it's surprising, isn't it? That you know, is surprising. It, it's just, it give this that's to the a world. Weird, that's
0: a weird you know? thing in a scientist. Yeah. To be like, I found knowledge, and I'm going to use it myself in my <laughs> secret what? proprietary marriage predicting machine.
1: That's right. It's like, uh, it's like eHarmony. You know, a lot is written about their algorithm, but you really can't get the details on it.
0: Yeah, yeah. But they don't pretend to be a scientist. They don't claim to be a scientist.
1: Although they do a lot of science. They
0: do science. They that's do right. science.
1: Oh, right. Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to disparage
0: the good people at eHarmony yeah. and the science, <laughs> the science that they do. Okay, but so, so, but if, openness, so open, openness to influence from others, I mean, like a whole bunch of secrets that John Gottman won't share with you.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and uh, there's, there's other things, too. Uh, uh, you know, whether people, whether a person feels what he calls flooded, which is to say when you bog down because you feel overwhelmed by the moment, so affectively, emotionally, you can't actually think straight, because really you should think about it as problem-solving, right? Kind of an arm's-length problem-solving thing. And if you're too invested in it and you're emotionally awash, then you're not going to be able to contribute to that. And other things, complaints and, uh, you know, sarcasm, cynicism, all the things. It's kind of the usual suspects that we all kind of know in hindsight. But what he's done is the service of, you know, uh, figuring out which ones really matter. And, you know, every one chips in a bit. But the problem is they usually come as a syndrome or a cluster of things. So they're usually all present. And so they add up to something very nasty. and very predictive
0: cool Um, yes uh, you ma'am yes Um, so you've talked a little bit about why or like how to build trust long term but what uh, creates liking in the first place that makes you feel compelled to do this well that's that's a great question so just to repeat for those who didn't hear it is like sure sure long term trust is great but why do you like the person to start with is that right
1: you know yes you can you can look at there has to be a shared similarity of background there has to be a shared similarity let's say of religion and other important values sacred values uh, there has to be, you know, a kind of similarity in worldview in, in those ways. That's a, that, those are good things. Not too much similarity. It it turns out, I think, that there's some golden section rule. You know, it, we go back to the, the Romans and architecture and horizontal and vertical and, you, you know, 62.5. That's it's
0: like actually the golden mean. You want yeah. someone who's like 1.7 like you exactly. or whatever. Right,
1: because <laughs> right. too much similarity, boring, right, right. too little, you know, not enough commonality oh, yeah. to base anything on, right? But uh, but the chemistry the the you know pheromones and all that kind of stuff about why two people meet greet fall in love who knows
0: so the answer to your question we don't know don't, uh, I don't know I don't know I mean I, someone who someone who's sort of like you but not too much like you and has pheromones yeah <laughs> that That's That's you like. like pheromones that you Pherom- like right, pheromones that you like not just yeah, everybody yeah, has pheromones yeah, yeah, yeah. discriminating pheromones repulsive pheromones people have attractive pheromones uh, Matt, you have attractive pheromones. What's your question? <laughs> I was wondering if
2: you know if there's research that's been
0: done subsequently or is going on now about same-sex couples. And stuff. It seems like a lot of that research can be done. Is this, are do these same principles apply to same-sex couples or yeah, should they just be hostile and cold with each other and it will <laughs> be okay? The are the same. Are they same, do they see the same results with same-sex couples? Have Gottman work with same-sex couples?
1: I, I don't know if that research is done. I, I would certainly have to believe that the, the findings would be almost exactly the same.
0: We don't, we don't know we don't know I mean you'd think it'd be yeah I mean we don't know I don't think
1: yeah <laughs> think, you know, if anything you'd think there'd be a bit of an advantage because everybody n- understands the equipment there's a you know a common kind of <laughs> you know, I know that's, what,
0: that's what keeps me and my girlfriend getting along is how I'm mystified I am by her genitals <laughs> like
1: apart from that,
0: Apart from that, we get along great, but I'm like, what the hell? You <laughs> don't even have a penis. How can we talk? No, I don't think that that's like... A... If only you had a penis, we'd have so much more I mean, Actually, we would. It's true. We would, we would get along better in some ways. In some ways, we would get along better. In some ways, worse. She's not here to defend herself, so maybe I'll stop talking about our hypothetical penis and move on. Um, uh, uh, any other questions? To quickly change this very uncomfortable subject for me. Yes. <laughs>
1: metaperceptual almost like recursive loop of that is there a way out of that or is, it, or are you stuck?
0: <laughs> is there an end to the metaperceptual loop
1: <laughs> is there an end well uh, I think people are you know people are, are said to be a uh, serious answer uh, you know cognitive misers which is to say we don't like doing a lot of cognition I admitted that as a guy um, and, we, and we don't like to put a lot of effort into it. So there's probably only about three layers before you go, uh, you know, like this is right. like third cousins. I don't get it, you know. It's just beyond, it's beyond <laughs> mortal ken, you know. So I, I think there's just a limit to the cognitive system on that stuff.
0: Right, so you can sort of be like, I can be upset by what you think of me. And then I can be upset by what you think of what I think it of what be, you think, think of me, exactly. but I probably can't be upset by what I think you think, I think you think, I think you think of me, because my brain just can't be bothered. Right. <laughs> okay, so there you go. So about three
1: yeah, about, yeah about so, no, three. In principle, it's a, the loop is infinite, In yeah. practice, it's like three. It's 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 probably a gender difference, you know. Women three point five, okay. and two point seven five. So there you go. So that's that's the lag.
0: Let me ask you a couple. Of, let me ask you a couple. There's a couple of things that I'm curious about. You talk about um, when you talk about the idea that you learn that that that, the, that, the, that because there's not a fixed reality, because we don't understand ourselves, that you learn about yourself from how others reflect you. Are there specific things that you know about yourself that you feel that you wouldn't have known were it not for your wife, like real things that you, like something you thought about yourself that you got something different from your wife?
1: Uh, yes, lots of things. Uh, I think what it does is, is it provides sort of boundary conditions on going crazy about yourself. You know, it provides a, a reality check, even though there's no reality. It, you know, it, it is a, a, another perspective that says, you know, you know dear, uh, that, that joke just wasn't funny. And, uh, and you say, oh. <laughs> and you say, and, and if, you're, if you're generous and open-spirited about it, you say, you know, I think you're right.
0: And you say, like, thank you, sweetheart, for letting me understand that I'm not as funny as I thought. Yeah, now I understand myself better. That's right. Is that, part- a, is that, like, a real example, though? Like, but but that like, seems like a hypothetical example. Like, or have you learned, like, is there a particular thing about yourself that you can point to, like, not just that a particular oh, joke sure. wasn't funny, but that you thought that you were a really generous person or that you're not, or you thought that you were really good at something that you're right. not good at or something? Well, like.
1: you know... Uh, for instance, you know, when you go to grad school, you, you tend to think that you're, you've passed a high hurdle and you're pretty smart. Right. Uh, well, my wife didn't go to grad school. She's smarter than I am, uh, damnably smarter than I am, okay. I might say, <laughs> because you know, she offers perspectives on situations that I didn't see. She has a, a great acumen about people, about their interactions, about sociality and stuff like that that, that I don't get right away. And I, so I've learned a lot about her and about my own limitations in doing that.
0: Is that her perception? Does she think she's smarter than you are?
1: Uh, yes, definitely. All right. yes. Does she know that?
0: Does she know that you think she's smarter yeah. than you are?
1: Yeah. No, she knows she's smarter. than are. <laughs> <me. laughs> right. I just wanted to know how deep, how deeply nested that, it that deep. insight. It's that in All right. All right.
0: Anything else you would like to know? Anything else? We, uh, oh, no. No, was just adjusting my air. You know, there was another question that I had, which I really wanted to know too. I'm sorry. Just there were a bunch of things that I wanted to know, so you guys get to wait or just nod. But but one of the things you talk about too is you talk about this idea of practicing of practicing skills to get better at. Them. Yeah. And one of the things that I'm aware of is that there's a difference between just doing something for a long time versus like actually practicing it. So you guys have been married for, for 10,000 hours, but are there specific things that you do to like practice being better at these things?
1: Uh, we, we used to, but I would say we, we don't anymore. And I don't think that's a good thing because uh, it, it turns out there are surprises all along <laughs> the way. Uh, you know, you find out things about yourself when, let's say, your parents die that you, know, you couldn't predict when you right. were younger. Uh, right? so, and your spouse will give you a reflected appraisal on that that's often very interesting and valuable as I say they, you know, they're, they're probably as much an expert on you at that point as you are on yourself so you ought to honor that
0: okay maybe we'll wrap it up there then ladies and gentlemen
1: David Jameson ladies and gentlemen okay.
0: <laughs> Trampling Hall was created in Toronto in the 21st century by Sheila Hetty and is hosted by me. Uh, this episode's lecture was chosen by amy langstaff the podcast is produced by josh block our theme music was composed by matt smith trampling hall is a sumo audio podcast you can subscribe to the podcast on itunes or your favorite podcast app you can also find us on twitter facebook and the world wide web you can also follow me misha globerman on twitter and find me on the web Uh, if you enjoyed the podcast it really helps us out if you leave a rating or review on itunes Uh, so go ahead and do that i am misha globerman thanks so much for listening